right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, that was no fun. Um, we said yesterday on the show that, you know, if KU lose this game, they lose it close. Like It's, it's not a big deal. We, we've seen the highlight of the Baylor. Like they're, they're projected to lose the game. It would obviously be nice if they win the game because then you're putting a stranglehold on the Big 12. You're putting um, almost a stranglehold, I guess, on getting a one seed. But the loss in itself, not that bad. But then how it happened. How it happened just makes you feel like, oh, what could have been. Two possessions, one minute left. That's infuriating. Yes. that That is as infuriating as you can get for a loss that really, not that it, every conference loss, every conference game matters. So not to say it didn't matter, but we kind of agreed. We, you know, they'd already won four games in that difficult six game stretch. The two of the games were the ones we really were like, okay, they'd be great to win tech at home and Baylor at home. And then, I mean, you're a minute away. You are a banked in three. Yeah. A boobed up lob play, five straight missed free throws, all that away. Any of those, not just all of that, any of yeah. those not happening, and you win the game. You went on the road against a top fifteen Ken Palm team. You shot fifty eight percent from the floor against one of the best defenses yeah. in the country, and that's how. I mean, you uh, missed two free throws from Christian Brown, like the front, end, front end of today. a one and one by McCormick. Front end of a one and one, and that that lost by or the the miss by McCormick came right after Texas mm-hmm. missed because um, Christian Brown missed his second free throw. McCormick got called for the fe- over the back. Ku lucks out because the guy at the other end misses the front end of his one and one, and then Ku wrecks their own one and one, and then the the silly banked in three. Uh, it was I don't know that was. I still feel I still feel pretty much like I did yesterday, where it's like okay, bummer. You know, you don't want to lose, but it's it's a it's a fine loss. It's a very forgivable loss, but golly, to get that close. Yeah, I mean, again, like it's it's very easy to forgive it. It's a top fifteen team on the. I know they're twentieth in the AP poll. They're top fifteen in Ken Palm. Top fifteen team on the road who you should have won if not for all those weird things. If not for, I mean. We always, when we think of Bill Self teams and we think of uh, the long streak that they had a 14 straight in the Big 12, the thing that seemingly separated them was they would win all these close games. And the execution down the stretch of those games with Bill Self teams, it was impeccable. I mean, it, it was just phenomenal. And that's what was weird about last night. It, the execution was was just not good. I mean, you had the um, play where Dewan Harris is going right and... You try to get a ball screen for Ochai with Dave. The screen wasn't good enough. Find out in the post game that the play was actually looking to try to get it to Dave, but Dewan just kind of lost the ball. You have the play, like you said, where Ochai's driving and he had him open on the the alley. That was, I mean, that was just a, hit the rim. That was a quintessential Bill Self. Oh, hey, check it out. He got mm-hmm. a perfect lob out of a timeout. Yes, that is what. Well, that is what makes Bill Self super attractive as an NBA coach because his his out his out of timeout and out of bounds plays are incredible 
And how many times does he run an out-of-timeout play that gets you a perfect lob? So often. Either a perfect lob or a perfect backdoor cut. And that's exactly what happened last night. And Ochai, I guess, forgot it was <laughs> a 10-foot rim yeah. and not an 8-foot rim. And also you had the last play of the game where Jalen Wilson ends up getting fouled. And yeah. um, he, Bills have talked about this in the presser, which we'll, we'll share for you later in, in the show. Um, Jalen gets the pitch back, and he's straight on. And it would have been a deep three. It would have been about a 25, 26-footer. But he was, he was open enough. Yeah. That he could have taken that shot, but for whatever reason, dribbled right and shot it. Those were just a lot of plays where KU did not execute properly, and that's so rare. And I'll say this, like, going in with the loss where I'm not overly concerned about it, like, that's something that I don't expect to happen again. Like, that's not something where if if the next game against Oklahoma on Saturday is close, I'm going to be saying, "Uh uh-oh, KU might have some execution issues because they're a Bill self-coach team. I agree. Yeah, and and, I mean, the thing about the Jalen Wilson one is that's somewhat forgivable in that most of the time you want to step out of trouble. In that moment, it would have been smarter for him to take the three because they wouldn't have been able to foul him, or if they did foul him, it would have been on the shot. But your instinct says, this dude's right next to me. I got to get some space. Um I also think that can be solved. And, and look, the, the rules are the rules. I don't, you know, you, you play everybody plays by the same rules. But I do think that all of that can be solved with the advancing the ball out of out of timeouts like they do in the NBA. But they don't do that in college. And, and Texas made the smart move in fouling up three. But um, it was just all everything that that could have. And then even then, they still needed a ridiculous banked in three mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. So, uh, not at the end, you but know, um, in the last minute. The result itself, really not a big deal. And especially if, if KU bounces back and they beat Oklahoma on Saturday and then Oklahoma State on Monday, like you're going to be expected to do. I will say this, though. There were a lot of issues in that game that led to the loss that do make me a little bit worried. Um, I want to go through these one by one because these are all things we did a couple weeks ago on the show. We did a draft of reasons why KU will make the final four, and then we did a draft of characteristics and traits of reasons why KU might not make the final four. And and of those traits, a lot of those things kind of came to a head last night. The first thing, defensive rebounding. You know, in the Baylor game, the defensive rebounding was great. Like, Baylor still got a good amount of offensive rebounds, but that's who they are. You still limited them below their season average. Well, last night, Texas snagged almost 38% of their misses with offensive rebounds. That was the third worst mark allowed by the KU defense this season. And yes, the other two games were both losses that had worse marks. Texas Tech and Dayton, Kentucky was the sixth worst mark. You also lost that game. That's not great, right? Um, Too many turnovers. That's been an issue this season. KU turned it over 22% of the time, which is in line with their turnover rate. That's about what they're averaging in Big 12 games, and they're just eighth in Big 12 play. That could be something that prevents them from a deep run in March, and it happened last night against Texas, especially in the first half. I'll say this. If there's a good, if there's a reason to be positive there, it's that you didn't see anything new. We kind of saw just an example of what this team is. and But we, we've said all along how does a with we've determined throughout this whole year KU has an elite offense. It's not just good. I think it's an elite offense. It's one of the three best offenses in the nation according to Ken Palm. But how do you if you are a lesser offense, how do you defeat a good offense? 
That is, get extra possessions by turnovers and get extra possessions by offensive rebounds. And KU did exactly, allowed Texas to do exactly that last night. And that, you know, and so it, it, it's, there's two sides to that coin. One, yes, you're absolutely right. Every, every bad thing or every wart that is on this KU team was exposed last night. But I think it's everything that came out last night, we also knew what this team was. Um, and it, it, but it, it is, you know, I, and I, I look at it. I mean, I, the turnovers, especially because KU was, you know, this, this turn on the, turn the ball over 10 times in the first half, they were outscored 17 to nothing uh, in the first half on turnovers. You're down five at half. What happens? You kind of eliminate the turnovers. They only have five in the entire second half and you've got the lead. You're up four with a minute to go. And then what happens in that final minute turnover by Ochai, on the the bad pass on the on the uh, lob, and the Dewan, I'm I'm counting the Dewan, and I'm not saying he was out of line for trying to take that shot. We've seen him win a game with that shot before, but the actual execution of the shot, I'm putting down as a turnover because it was really really bad, poorly executed, and basically counted as a turnover because Texas did not have to fight at all for that rebound. Yeah, so those those were. Two of the things, two basic turn. You know, those were basically two turnovers in the final minute, is what allowed Texas mm-hmm. to get to get back in the game. The third thing that has been a problem for KU this year, that again came to its head last night, they don't force turnovers. So you turn the ball over a lot, but you don't get them back. This goes into what you're saying about not getting extra shots, not getting extra possessions. Texas had almost 20 more shots last night because they got a bunch of offensive rebounds. They turned Kansas over a lot, and they didn't have many turnovers of of their own. KU had their second-worst game at forcing turnovers. If you go by turnover rate, not by total turnovers, but by turnover rate last night, the only game that was worse was Kansas State. Um, Kansas is, is forcing turnovers on just 15% of their defensive possessions right now, which ranks last in Big 12 play. And, and it's again, compounded when you allow offensive rebounds. Yes, but that, that number 15%, that ranks last in the Big 12. Last night it was 10% against oh. Texas, so you couldn't force turnovers on them. Um, this one I think is to a lesser degree of an issue that we brought up, but lack of a lead guard who can get his. Like I, I like Dewan Harris. He's good at his role, but Dewan Harris, I think, thrives the most when he has another guard out there who can really score the basketball. And Ochai is a guard. He can really score it. But what I mean when when I say, you know, a lead guard who can score it, and, and Joe Yesfu might evolve into this. Um, Remy Martin could when he returns. We just, I, I don't know what the deal is going to be there. But I think you saw at the end of the game, perfect example of what I mean by this when you get to the NCAA tournament. Sometimes it's harder in an NCAA tournament setting, you have all the scouting reports, all eyes on this happening, and you know, you're know you in the half court a lot in a tighter game. It's a little bit harder to just say, hey, we can get the ball to our big man, mm-hmm. which KU was trying to do at the end there, and say, go make a play. They could double him. They could deny him the ball. They can make it difficult to get the ball in his hands. Same thing with, with a wing, which is the case for Ochai. You can face guard him. You can basically make it hell to even get him the ball. Whereas the lead guard is going to be the one, the ball is in his hands. So having that lead guard who can score for you late in the game is so crucial in the NCAA tournament. And again, I think Dewan Harris is a a really good player at what he does. He's good as his role, but he's not that. And you need either Joe Yesfu to emerge into that, but he wasn't in the closing lineup. Or you need Remy Martin to come back and be that guy, which again, that's a big question mark. Um, Inability to hold leads. This is one that, that is definitely scary once you get to March because how often do we see teams 
you know, go on crazy runs in the NCAA tournament. And I don't know if it's something where it's just because we're watching these games that are so um, important to the season, they stick out more when a comeback does happen, or if there is more, you know, March magic, so to speak. Or or, or it's just flat desperation. Exactly. Season's over, so they start taking risks. They were fouling earlier than normal, right? So there's there's reasons, but uh, this is a little scary. KU led by 15 with less than two minutes in the first half on Dayton. They lost the game. KU led by 12 with 18 minutes left against George Mason. That was a two-possession game late. KU led by nine with eight minutes against Iowa State in the home meeting. They needed a Dewan Harris winner uh, and a Cyclones miss to pull out the victory. KU led by 12 with 16 minutes left at Oklahoma. Again, they needed late heroics to win the game. KU led by 12 with six minutes left at home against Texas Tech. They needed an Ochai fading three to send it to double overtime. And then last night, that has to scare you a little bit. And again, a trait that is scary about this team that popped up last night. And then you have the poor free throw shooting. And this goes into, I'm sure, the blown leads. KU was just 15 of 23 at the free throw line last night. And a lot 65%. of those misses were late. They were. And they missed their last five to that point. Uh, currently, KU is just 188th in the nation in free throw shooting. And then the last thing that I think has, has been an issue at times this year that, again, reared its ugly head last night. Two-point defense or lack thereof. Texas shot 53% on twos. That is the seventh worst mark for the KU defense. And in those seven games, KU is three and four. But if you look at just the games against top 65 Ken Palm teams, they are one and four in said games. KU ranks just 130th in the country, two-point defense. It is up to third in Big 12 play. So I'm not saying it's it's been a huge problem every game. But last night, it was a problem, and Texas did hit a lot of mid-range. They're about 50% on the mid-range, but they also still shot nearly 70% on shots at the rim. So I think a lot of things last night of questions we have about this team, of, of reasons that could prevent them from being a Final Four, from being a national championship-type team, you're not going to always have all of them pop up at once, but last night they kind of all did. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny that within two days you see – uh, a reason that a team is going to could uh, what it reminds me of somewhat is is um the uh um 2017 where it, you have within two nights now this was in the I'm talking in the tournament within two nights you see a reason a team could win the national title followed two nights later by a reason why they can't even get out of the region in 2017 they obliterated Purdue Two nights later, turned around, and, and the length of, of um, Oregon was too much to overcome, and they had a poor outside shooting night against Oregon as well. Well, this tonight, of course, you know, I mean, last night, of course, obviously it's February, it's not the tournament, but within two nights, you have a team that at their best, go, you know, could go to the, the team that played Saturday could go toe-to-toe with anybody in the country and, and make them sweat. And then two nights later, you see a team – you see every single weakness of a team come out in the last, I don't know, 70 seconds of a game. You really saw the turnovers come out more in the first half. They did oh in the macro over the course of the entire uh, second half. They actually negated the turnovers. They did really well. They only had five turnovers in the entire second half after, after having 10 in the first half. But a lot of those problems came out not just throughout the game but in the final minute and a half, two minutes. I mean, if Christian Brown cans those two free throws, then you're looking at a situation where, what is it? It's 70, it was 76, 60, so 
Um, and you don't know what happens after that. That that three that banks in makes it seventy eight seventy five, um, and, and so it you know it, it totally changes things. If McCormick hits the front end of the one and one and, and just misses the other one, you're still looking at you know another point. So that's seventy nine points. So I think the probably the most the the, the if you want to say the scariest part isn't just that every flaw of this team popped up last night. And as you said, how often are they going to pop up in the same game? Well, not forget the the same game. They all popped up last night in the exact same, you know, in the last 90 seconds. Yeah. And I do wonder, too, um, Bill Self talked about in the pregame on the radio show, he said, uh, you know, we're planning to give the guys off a couple days after this game because it's it's been a long, grueling, you know, Past week and a half, two he weeks probably, or whatever, he's right? He's going to hold that, right? <laughs> oh, we'll see. I can't imagine he I'm saw I'm sure he'll any- get one day off for sure. I yeah. can't imagine he saw anything last night that's going to make him think, oh, it's it's because of Yeah, that's poor true. It wasn't effort. like a lack of effort. Yeah. yeah, they'll probably get both days off. But clearly that's an indication from self. Before the game started, yeah. this team is a little tired, and I can't help but wonder as well if that kind of faltering at the end there if that had anything to do with it. It could. I mean, the, if you want to talk about Ochai, his, I mean, if you're talking about threes, a lot of times people will say you're tired. A sign that you're tired is when your threes clank off the front side of the rim because you're coming up short. Well, you could say that his his um, lob attempt to Dave was both short and bounced off the front of the rim. Now, it could have just been lack of focus and he just clanked it and it was a bad pass. Uh, but maybe, yeah, maybe fatigue played a role in, in all of that. Maybe fatigue played a role... I'd have to go back. I don't know how many of their missed free throws clanked off the front of the rim, but um, I, you know, I don't know if that was a factor or not. But it's an interesting and, and look. They had to use, you know, they they did make that comeback. They basically erased Texas's halftime lead within the first, I think, like three minutes. I think they had that thing tied before the before the under sixteen timeout, I believe, and so it didn't take them long to erase that five point deficit at halftime, but. You know, that takes energy, too. Yeah, and so even despite all that, even though some of their bad traits reared uh, pretty boldly last night, and those are problems to look forward to moving forward, and they could be things that prevent KU from a deep march run, at the end of the day, this team's still really good, and this team's still going to be just fine. And Tech still has to play Baylor again. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate joins us in about 15 minutes from right now. Kevin Flaherty will hop on the show at 440. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. That time on a Tuesday, joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. So, Matt, last night's loss, we were talking about this in the open, you know, on, on its surface. doesn't really seem to be a big deal, but also... Um, some of the things that caused the loss are issues that have maybe plagued this team over the course of the season. Uh, so where are you at? Did you view last night's loss as more of maybe an indictment against this team, or did you view it more as just, I don't know, like weird things happen against good teams and sometimes you lose? 
Yeah, weird things happen. The law of averages came into play. They've made so many game-winning plays in that situation already this year that, you know, you're not going to make them all. And and they should have. That You know, you don't want to let them off the hook completely and say, oh, you know, those poor boys tried hard. I mean, you know, that's not this. They should have won that game. They were up four with a minute left and, and had a couple of opportunities to, to you know, really crack it and make a couple of free throws and finish a lob and you probably win the game. So um, they, they should have won. But, but at the same time, like I said, the law of averages, sometimes things just are, are due to go against you. And, and that's what that felt like. I mean, the bank shot, you, you have to live with it. There's nothing else you can do. I mean, um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's not anything that anybody who's ever played the game of basketball on any level has ever enjoyed. I mean, it's like it's it's the it's the it's the ball hits the tape in tennis and crawls over, right? And then the tennis, the person who hit it has to like hold up their racket and say, "Ho ho ho, sorry, sorry." And you know, it's like a universal understood thing. Um, that's what that bank shot is. But everybody's done it, and and it's benefited KU before too. Look, like Iowa State's, you know, walking off that floor thinking, "I can't believe Macklemore banked that crap in." <laughs> you know, I mean, like that's that's how these things go and and give credit to these players for understanding that i mean self said it coach i said it mccormick said it like that's how it goes that's basketball so they've all been on that side of it uh and they've all been on the good side of it too so you know i mean those things do happen but um but but yeah i don't know i mean i i don't i don't think it's total indictment time I, I don't think it's a bad loss texas is a good team they've got some talent they play hard you were at their house it was a crazy environment um as as good as i've ever seen it down there so you know i mean it, that that's one you can look back on and say okay we can deal with losing that game even regardless of kind of how it happened um but i do think that the fact that they had it and it was there and they they had to fight for it, right? I think Ochai told us when he was walking out to the team bus, you know, that, that after the game that, you know, he said, this one sucks. Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> this one sucks. And and I think the reason for that is partly because of the bank and you you I, you roll your eyes and kind of hate that moment. But the other part of it is, is KU had to fight so hard, physically, mentally, just grinding through that entire game. To, to, to be there, if you're going to put that kind of effort out, you know, you want it to pay off. You want it to be worth something, and you don't want it to be one where, man, I just put my body through hell and took an L anyway. You know, it's just like I, I think that's probably why he was feeling down and, and, and probably the rest of the team was. They were bummed that they played hard enough. They believe uh, that they played hard enough and scored enough to, to, to get out of there with a big win, and, and it didn't happen. So, um you know, I, I think it's great for them, though, that they have uh, this big break Monday, Saturday. You know, I mean, that's 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 good. They'll get a chance to recharge, get their bodies right, minds right, rest, get away from it. And by the time Oklahoma rolls in here, uh, they'll be ready to go and, and ready to kind of remember what's at stake and get back on track. So not the end of the world um, by any means and, and certainly not anything that you would call a bad loss. I, so I, I would I would stop short of saying, and I know you're not saying this, but I would stop short of calling either the Texas Tech game or the Texas game fluky and how the and how they went. But last night KU needed some things to go against them for that result. Last week against Texas Tech, things needed to go in KU's favor down the stretch for them to get that result. 
But if those team or if those games were going to offset, you were going to say they'll win one and they'll lose one. They probably won the right one, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the team that's much closer to them in the standings, at least by one game. And also, it was at home. And we all know how KU feels about losing at home. So, um, yeah, I think I think you're right. And and I I think that Ochai also had some pretty good perspective after the game that that you know not everybody fans especially can always uh, have after emotional losses like that. I mean, he said, look, you know, this doesn't do anything. We, we still control the race. We're still ahead. Um, it's in our hands, and it's up to us if we're going to win this thing. And, and you know, that's, that's partly Ochai. I mean, he's just wired that way. But that's also a guy who's been through these wars before, and he's a veteran, and he's seen it. And so, you know, this is, this is nothing new. You're not going to win every game in the Big 12 Conference. You're not going to – automatically make those big plays at the end of close games, you know, that sometimes they go your way, sometimes they don't. But but he had perspective, and I think because of that, you know, David McCormick has it too, Bill Self has it, of course, even Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown, DeWan Harris, guys that have been here three years, um, you know, they know it too. They've seen it. So I think there'll be enough of that perspective in, in the locker room, you know, this week that, that reminds these guys that, yeah, that one sucks, but it's over. Let's move on. And I think they will. I mean, I think that the, the schedule certainly gets a little more favorable coming up. And, uh, you know, there's no reason to think they can't still finish this thing out by winning the conference. The problem is, I think, and I think they felt this too, I think that's maybe why some of that that this sucks vibe was there last night in, in the locker room as they were walking out to the bus too. I think that – you know, I, I think they know that if they got that gotten that one last night, it would have really, really put them in the driver's seat. Um, and and not that they would have had a much bigger lead over Texas or anything, because that would have just Texas may be out of it anyway. But um, it would have kept that that two game lead and another road win and all that stuff. And now it's now it's back into that sort of anything can happen territory. How much do you think last night's struggles at the end of the game? were maybe related to fatigue of, of having, I guess, uh, I'm trying to think how many games that would be in, in a 10-day span, four games in a 10-day span with, with two of them being against top 10 opponents in Kentucky and Baylor. Do you think that played into what happened at the end at all? Yeah, I do. I don't I don't think it's uh, making excuses to say that either. I'd be fine with, with KU or Self or anybody saying that, and, and fans too. I mean, I think I don't think that's, that's a, a whining type of situation. I think it's reality. And I, I think that these guys are worn out. And I mean, you look at Ochai and CB and, and Jalen and Dewan, especially uh, the only reason Dave hasn't played up 35 plus type minutes like those guys have pretty regularly here lately is because of either foul trouble or just ineffectiveness, you know? And, and uh, so um, he's maybe not grinding as hard in terms of minutes, but um, the position he plays is a little bit more demanding. And uh, I thought he was great last night. I, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't have to look pretty. It's it's maybe never going to look fully pretty with him, but um, I, I thought you could all see, I mean, anybody that watched that game, even if you have just a very basic understanding of basketball, you could see the difference and how valuable he was 
based on how they played when he was on the court and how they played when he was on the bench. Um, Texas could do whatever they wanted inside when Dave was out, and uh, when when he came back in, he he really he really put put forth a strong effort to just try to protect the paint and make things hard for for Mitchell and Bishop and whoever else. And and I thought he did. I thought he played great. Um, you know, he missed the free throw late, and and that that probably hurt him as much as anybody. But you know, it, those again, that that could have been fatigue in some ways. That was a physical game, and uh, and uh, you know, some people would probably argue about it. I know I saw a lot of tweets saying the Big Twelve refs were terrible and all that stuff. But you have to give them consistency, man. They let them play, and and they kind of let it go last night, and uh, that that made it a little bit of a a scrum instead of a, a a basketball game of movement and precision, and you know, free whistles and just uh, tweet 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 all the time, you know. So I I think that there were some calls that probably could have gone KU's way that didn't, but I'm sure that happens here, and I'm sure that happens in every game. So it. it it's not the end of the world by any means there. KU still didn't execute in the most important moments, and and that has nothing to do with officiating. We're talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. All right, I'm going to give you three options here for Remy Martin scenarios, and I, I want you to pick which one of these three would be, I guess, the most likely. What would be the betting favorite? So your first option is Remy Martin not playing again this season? Your second option is Remy Martin playing a pivotal role come March. And your third option is Remy Martin playing at some point, but not surpassing Joe Yesifu in the rotation. What would you pick as the most likely of those three to happen? Um, tough question. This, this has been a little while. I mm. feel like you've maybe you know slipped a little. Usually bit. I lead off with this one, right? Yeah, you do. Right, right. I'm surprised you didn't <laughs> here today. Um, he's going to play, so I'm not going to say number one. Um, the question for me is pivotal role or supporting role. Um, I think, I, I mean, look, I think you have to say supporting role. Um, I, I, I think I'll say it with a little bit of an asterisk. I think his supporting role, even if he doesn't pass Joe Yosefu, as you mentioned, I think it could still be pretty pivotal. Um, because right now, this team needs anything it can get from the bench. Uh, again, you're looking at, at DeWan Harris playing 38 minutes just a few days after Self said he can't play 38 minutes, and then he does. You know, So um, even if Remy's not uh, you know, gangbusters out there and isn't like the Remy Big 12 preseason player of the year like everyone wants him to be and all that stuff, I still think even if he's their eighth or ninth man, uh, him playing 15 minutes a game could be huge. But um, the way Joe Yusefu is playing right now, I mean, it's unbelievable. You, you know, I'm not saying he's like the best player in the world or anything crazy like that, but, but this is a guy that three weeks ago was not even playable. And now he's just out there knocking down shots, getting big steals. He, he looks like he's confident and comfortable. He looks like he belongs. I mean, that's, that's massive stuff in a short period of time. So there's no doubt that, that it could still click for Remy. Uh, Joe's walking proof of that. I mean, he, again, he was unplayable for a lot of this season and was, was totally, you know, maybe three minutes a game if he was lucky kind of guy. And, and now he's, 
first guard off the bench and, and one of their most important pieces. So um, it can still happen. It can happen that quickly. Obviously, he's got to get healthy before anything can happen. But I do think he will be back. I do think he will play. And I think it's probably to do the best hedge job I can here. I think I, think I would probably throw in a fourth if you'll allow me to. And I would mm. say that the role that Remy will have will be comparable to what Joe Yusefu will have the rest of the way. And on any given night, you flip a coin, and one night it may be Remy that does it, one night it may be Joe that does it. They'll both get minutes, they'll both play, they'll both be important parts of the rotation. But um, I, I just think that you know he'll have some games where it's his time, and he'll have other games where you know he doesn't do much. But, but I do think just him being out there, would really help this team in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, it's obvious these guys want him back. They're excited for, you know, the idea of him coming back. And, and I think it'll, it'll really help their, their rotation and their minutes and their, their legs and their fatigue and all that stuff. So, um, you know, you give the guy credit. I mean, I know it hasn't been a dream season for Remy or the fans that wanted to fall in love with him. Um, but man, I got I give him nothing but credit. He is engaged every time on the bench. He is he is yelling. He's up. He's clapping. He's doing what he can. And and uh, there's a lot of guys in his position that would be doing a heck of a lot less than that. So um, I, I think he's still hungry to to get back and and dying to get back and would love nothing more than to to finish this out with a a little bit of a run and and leave a little bit of a memorable Remy Martin note on uh, on a year that's otherwise been kind of disappointing yeah it's it's interesting for me with Remy and Joe because um clearly the the ceiling I think is higher the ability to to score is probably a little bit higher and score off the bounce with Remy Martin and create and I think as well as you know maybe be a passer but with Joe he does more of those little things that Bill Self likes the defense the being able to force turnovers um the you know the athleticism is is probably pretty good for both of them in terms of the speed and quickness. Is there a scenario where when Remy comes back that Joe Yesifu is just you know uh, so much better at those little things than him that even if Remy comes back he just doesn't really play much? That's possible. I mean, I think that that's why I kind of said the coin flip thing. I think I think you know instead of looking at how do they how do they compete for minutes or who gets minutes and who doesn't, I I, I think you just kind of lump them together and call them one guy. And, um, you know, that, that, that means you've got 40 minutes off the bench if you want, um, you know, and, and it doesn't mean they're going to play 40 each, obviously. It means that one guy might play 15, 20, one guy might play 15, 20, 25, whatever it is. Um, but, but I think that, that they, they, in terms of, you know, their role, especially offensively, right, it, it, it's going to be very similar. Now, again, yeah, the defense is going to be a key, key part of that. And it's no question that, that Joe is ahead of Remy defensively. Um, but there are going to be times where KU needs more offense out there, too. And, and uh, you know, you can't forget, too, that Remy Martin is, is more experienced, right? And he's older. He's more mature. He's played in more games at the college level. I mean, not by a whole lot, but certainly – um, you know, a lot of moments that he's been in on these types of stages that, that Joe Yusefu hasn't been in yet uh, by by virtue of one playing at Arizona State in the Pac-12 and the other playing at Drake. So, you know, that, that, that there's value there, too. And, uh, you know, it's just got to be, 
he's obviously got to be healthy. He's got to be able to move. You can't play defense if you can't move. Um, and assuming that he does get back to healthy, 90 to 100% somewhere in there like they're trying to get him to, then, you know, the rest will be up to him. I mean, then the rest is up to discipline, scouting report, um, execution, and, and doing the things defensively that you're being asked to do so that you can stay on the floor. So um, I, I do think that there's definitely a chance that, that you know, those things could fall short still with Remy. Even if he's fully healthy, he could just be – you know, a little bit of a liability defensively. And, and obviously no one's going to love that. So if that happens, then, yeah, Yosefu might be able to uh, kind of hold down those minutes and, and, you know, I'll play him two to one or three to one or whatever it is. But, um, but again, if it, if it comes down to offense and, and they're going to need any kind of spark or quickness on that end, uh, I, I think they're equals. I think you could flip a coin in, in terms of, you know, hey, they can both go out there and do sort of the same things. I, I still think Remy's a better offensive player all the way around, but um, they both can get their shoulders by guys. They both can knife their way into the paint. They both can create for others, and they both can knock down shots. So, um, you know, that, that, that gives them at least a chance to kind of share a role. Um, the, the defensive part of it will, in my opinion, and probably a lot of people's opinion, will determine – you know, just how much of a role that will actually be for Remy. And again, when he's, when he's back, when he's healthy, whenever that is. My guess, I put this on Twitter a couple of times, but my guess is the home game against K-State on the 22nd. I mean, that's still a couple of weeks away. I'm sure a lot of people would love to have him back before that, but I don't know. I, I mean, I just don't think they're going to rush it. You know, I don't think there's any reason to rush it. Uh, you want him back so that you have him for the long haul, not back a little prematurely and and then oh he aggravated again what you know what good does that do you so uh you give him a whole a whole week off here basically and he doesn't play against oklahoma and then uh that's on saturday and then there's a quick turnaround for for oklahoma state coming in here next monday night um i suppose that's one that, that could be on the radar if they think he's close um but then after that you're at west virginia um a guy hasn't played in a while. He's rusty. Uh, I don't know that throwing him into the hornet's nest that is West Virginia on the road is, is any way to bring him back, you know? So, um, so that, that, that kind of rules that one out in my mind. So if he's not back for Oklahoma state next Monday, then I think it's probably the K state game at home on the 22nd. That would be the next real target date. And, uh, and I think they would probably be wise to wait that long. I mean, that gives them, Darn near a full month off. At that point, you're right around the corner from March, and at that point, he's either healthy or he's not. You know, it's it, it's just it, you're running out of time at that point. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, including his recap of the game last night, KUSports.com, and in the LJ World. Real quick, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing. At what point would you consider it a run in basketball? Six nothing, eight nothing, or other? Uh, wow. Good question. I, I'm going to go other and I'm going to go under either of those. I think you can knock down two shots and have it be a run. Um, four nil, huh? Well, or five, right? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I kind of like five. I, I, I mean, I think four's four's probably a run, but that's also just a couple of possessions, but something about knocking down a two and a three. I mean, like the end of the first half last night for Texas, right? They score on the scoop by Andrew Jones and then they get the turnover and they throw in a, 
uh, a three-pointer at the buzzer, and guess what? That's a 5-0 run, right? I mean, you know, I'm not saying you have to agree there, but that's that's what it seemed like it was being called all night. So I, I think it's just two shots. I mean, I think it's like um, a streak, right? you got to have two, at least, to be a streak, and uh, and, and I think it's similar with a run. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think – Four sounds weak though, so maybe I'll say five if you're asking for an actual number. I, I will say I will put my name on five if you're okay with that. All right, that is what an official run is five zero. Be ready for that on Saturday. Ku taking on <laughs> Oklahoma with Matt Tate, KUSports.com, LJ World. Matt, thank you for the time as always, man. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Have a good week. You too. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go with Adam Bravetta, Derek Johnson. We'll have uh, some self-presser audio to share with you coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Kevin Flaherty joins us at 440. This is RCST. Kevin Flaherty joins the show in about 20 minutes from right now. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Before we get into this one-seat conversation, today is the uh, anniversary I feel weird saying anniversary because that, that kind of has a positive connotation. Positive connotation, yeah. Yeah, but of uh, Derek Thomas. Um, is today the, the anniversary of him actually it getting was, the car uh, accident or no, when he actually died? No, the day died? he died. Yeah, it was okay. the day he died. That's a sad... I mean, so I was... I mean, it was what, 2000? Yep, February 8th, 2000. I was five years old. I obviously... I, I have no, recollect, no recollection of it live. I, I don't know if you do, but like, I, I could not imagine... Like that, that is crazy. He was still playing. He was still playing very well. That is, I don't know, like the equivalent. Uh, because how old was he? Like thirty six, something like that. Somewhere in there, yeah. I mean, if imagine if like, I don't want to go. No, but here. but you, pick, you know what just I mean. pick. Just pick you like, don't need to yeah, pick an example. Exactly. Just pick somebody at the top, Some famous athlete, maybe toward the end, but still in the t- like the end mm-hmm. of the prime of their career. Out of nowhere, you learn during and they, the the car accident happened during one of the biggest days in the sport it yeah. happened on championship sunday um and he uh and then i, I think by then what i remember is is um kind of some belief that he probably was never going to walk again so obviously his playing days were over um but the 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 death came as a shock because it was weeks it was a couple of weeks after the car accident um and so there was kind of this this fear you know and, and the tragedy and that he'll probably never play again and he'll probably never walk again which was scary enough and then tragic enough but excuse me then um I, you know we were at school and we had i had a, a gym class and there were two teachers and one of the teachers said yeah he died and i was like i was shocked and um then the other teacher who was actually my teacher came out of the locker room and I said, so, you know, Mr. So-and-so just said, and he had been listening to the radio and yeah, and, and in fact had, had happened. So it was, it was a shock. You kind of got two shocks. You got the shock that he'd been in the accident and was, and was devastatedly injured. Um, and then the, you know, but because so much time had passed since the accident, you really didn't expect death. Um, and then you got that word. It was awful. Yeah, I mean, it's just wild. Derek Thomas to think about. was nineties Chiefs, right? I mean, he yeah. Um, I like I, I I could not imagine having to do a radio show. I I guess uh, 
you know, the the similar one that was recent was Jordan. Um, Jordano Ventura, and, and actually our regular guest, Josh Briscoe, was doing a Saturday show, and, and, and it's interesting to hear him tell that story. He was doing a Saturday show that was supposed to end in maybe 10 minutes, and they were just going to go to national, you know, like we have Fox Sports radio programming. They have something similar at the station where he works, um, and they were about to just go to national programming at noon or whatever, and I think it was at like 11.45 or 11.50, when that news came down on Twitter and Josh couldn't get a hold of, it was a Saturday, so he couldn't get a hold of anybody, couldn't get a hold of the head of the station, didn't know what to do, and kind of just made the executive decision, like, we're not going to national programming with this story. There's just no way. So it, it kind of, they did what they could, got a hold of other hosts that, you know, that they could get a hold of, and then the rest of the, the more experienced folks put together something then around one or two o'clock came in and and carried it out. So it it, it really, um, but I mean that was a weekday. I know it was a weekday on with with Derek Thomas's death because I was in school, and I just, you know, I, it really was. I mean to compare it to something recently. It, I mean it was almost at the level, even nationally and certainly locally, it was almost at the the level of Kobe's death. Um. Probably not because Kobe was a worldwide superstar and Derek Thomas, but Derek Thomas was a huge, huge name in the NFL back then. Yeah, um, and, and like Kobe was well. Again, I don't, I don't want to compare was, like deaths. And yeah, stuff, but Kobe but, was worldwide. But you know, just what I mean? as like far was, as the shot playing, goes, it's yeah, just exactly, shocking, right? Um, it, yeah, the whole thing was stunning. I can't imagine how. Um, well, it's like we always go into the off season and we're like. Well, is this finally the time that, you know, father such time such gets him and he won't be as yeah. good anymore? Will he retire? What's going to Just like for that to happen. It's... And then, you, you know, you put together the show and you're going through the show and you're doing your prep meetings and then, bam, there's that. And, and you're not talking about anything that you plan to talk about. No, not at all. So it was, it was a very odd, foggy day in Kansas City. All right. Uh, lighter conversation here. KU was projected by now it depends what bracketology site you go to but after the win against Baylor for the most part of what I saw they were they were looking like a one seed after that now I know a lot of KU fans have been giving Joe Lenardi flack lately I would just say this like I have nothing against Joe Lenardi so I don't, I don't want to make this sound like a vendetta or anything um there's a website called bracket matrix that grades how the bracketologists do every year Joe Lenardi is not one of the higher graded guys. There are other places you can go. Also, if you go to Bracket Matrix, it's actually kind of a useful site because it actually aggregates all of yep. the bracketologists, and you can see where. As of yesterday, KUC was like a one point eight three, I think. Mm -hmm. But then I think that's changed. Sports Illustrated came out today. Again, I don't know where they're ranked on Bracket Matrix, but Sports Illustrated back with bracketologists today. So even after the Texas loss, still had Kansas as a one seed. And that came out, to be clear, it wasn't like it came out yesterday and they just haven't updated it. They updated it this morning in case still wants to. I will say for Lenardi, he is on the record as having said re very recently, he's on the record as saying the Big 12 is going to get a one seed. Mm -hmm. So I, I think what you can take from him is if KU closes out winning this conference, they'll get a one seed. Yeah. Never, regardless of what he has them at the, at this moment. Right. So I'm, I'm sure today, depending where you look, you'll see some places where maybe they're the last one seed. You'll see others where they're, you know, a two seed right now. But the point is, they're in discussion of that. And I still think as much as they control their own destiny to win the Big 12, they also control their own destiny to get a one seed. 
Yeah, yeah. And even sure. though that's technically in somebody else's hands, I still think they basically control their own destiny to get a one seed. So how does KU get a one seed? That's the first question I want to ask here. Um, right now they are sitting with four losses overall on the season, um, a record of nineteen and four. Their Big Twelve record is eight and two, with games upcoming: Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and so on. Um, pretty much every Big Twelve game, and in fact, I think every Big Twelve game is. If it's a road game, it'll be a quad one game. If it's a home game, it'll be quad two, except for Baylor and Texas. Those will be quad one. Even K-State at home home is a quad two? No, K-State at home will be a quad two. Yeah, but I'm saying it's still a quad two. Wow. I wouldn't have it that high. Well, I mean, it's not up to me, but I'm surprised it's that high is what I should say. I thought so. I could be wrong. I I mean, they're they're kind of on the borderline. I could have sworn. um, They've kind of played their way onto the bubble, though, so it's not shocking. Well, it's just, yeah. what is quad, what's quad one? One through 75 or one through 50? So, so it looks like K-State is just outside of it now. They're at 62. you got to get into the top 60, I believe. So one through 60 at home is considered quad one? Quad one is one through 30 at home. Okay. One through, I want to say, 50 on neutral and one through 75 on the road. Okay. I think that's... That sounds that sounds familiar. Yeah, so it's one through 30 at home, one through 50 on neutral, one through 75 away. Um, so at quad, this moment, they'd be a quad three at home. No, they actually would be a quad two. Quad two is 31 through 75 at home. Okay. So, so it goes it yeah. goes further than the first 30. Every Big 12 team, quad one or quad two. So they're going to continue to get opportunities to rack up good wins. And on the flip side, if they lose games, it's like those are good losses, right? They're also leading. I don't know if they are now, but as of Saturday night, uh, I don't know if this has changed, but as of Saturday night after the Baylor game, you you texted me this tweet. Kansas leads the, lead, or leads the uh, entire country in quad one victories. I don't think it's as simple as if KU wins the Big 12 outright. Like if they go 14 and 4 and Baylor goes 13 and 5, I don't think that guarantees a one seed. But if you do win the Big 12 outright and you maybe win the Big 12 tournament, or maybe if you at least make it to the Big 12 tournament final, I think that's probably enough. 2018, they were kind of in this, they had more losses, um, but they, they had an early kind of blowout loss. They lost by 16 in Waco. They they got it together to win the Big 12 and the Big 12 tournament. Now, they went 14-4 and four that year, and that included their last game of the year getting smoked by Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Um, or maybe it wasn't, maybe they didn't get smoked, but they certainly lost very handily. It was very comfortable win by Oklahoma State. Um, but anyway, they, so that's how they finished out that season. They won the big 12 tournament and wound up as the number three overall seed. Um, so let's see in 2013 where they had that three game losing streak that included a loss at TCU, which I would say that the close loss at TCU was probably a, a worse loss than the 18 point loss against Kentucky. Um, cause of how bad that was, that was think, I think TCU's maybe only conference win that year. Anyway, that team rebounded, won the Big 12 Conference, and won the Big 12 Conference Tournament, and wound up as the number two overall seed. So I, I think, yeah, that's that's probably win the Big 12 Conference, and really I think you're you're sitting pretty if you win the tournament. I think you're, you're sweating it if you maybe lose before then. Well, I think Gonzaga feels like a lock for a one seed. Yeah. Auburn is is kind of trending that way. You look at their schedule, like I, it's hard to see more than maybe, I don't know, maybe they'll lose tonight. I think they're at Arkansas, but it's hard to see them losing more than 
two more games the rest of the way. And, and if can, they go three losses, like they're they're going to get a one seed out of the SEC. Kentucky's got it. I maybe. Um, Kentucky's right now is is a low two. the The resume overall isn't great for Kentucky. But really. It, it could, who knows, it could come down to a tiebreaker for scenario. If if Kentucky were to win the SEC tournament and keep going on a roll here, they could have the tiebreaker over Kansas for that game. I will say this, I think the loss to Kentucky, it doesn't just give them possibly the tiebreaker, but it could hurt Kansas in terms of, like, because of that, they might have to win the Big 12 tournament as yeah. opposed to if they would have won that game, maybe they could have lost in the first round. What and, about and Arizona? Arizona feels like they're going to get there unless they get upended early in Pac-12. Um, then you got like Purdue, Kansas, Baylor, Duke, Kentucky. It almost feels like they're competing for that last one seed if Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona clinch it up. So I, I kind of think that one of these two has to happen. KU basically has to go probably 14-4 and four in the Big 12. And if they win it outright, then they either have to win at least two games in the Big 12, maybe all three, or... If they don't win the Big 12 or go far in the Big 12 tournament, if they can win the Big 12 outright in the regular season but sweep Baylor in the process, that would go a long way. And then I think the other thing you just can't – like if if they get into a situation where they tie, they share the Big 12 crown, and then Baylor beats them in the Big 12 tournament, it's going to be Baylor over you, right? Um, I'm trying to think, though, with – so you've got – who do we decide are basic locks right now? Gonzaga? Arizona, Gonzaga, Arizona, and uh, Auburn, and Auburn. Yeah, well, the and, really, and the really irritating thing about that is, is no matter what, it's not like KU will wind up. When you look at the geography of those teams, it's not like KU would wind up as a one seed out west. They would, if they are a one seed, they're in Chicago. Period. It's not like previous years where they're one seed, but there's you know they're like the number four overall one seed, so they wind up in you know L.A. Because a team in their in their geographic area got a higher one seed and therefore got placed in a better region, a more favorable region. KU, if they get a one seed, they're most likely in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the the locations of the other potential one seed, yeah, and I don't know how much like playing close to home matters. In in some scenarios, it has, and others it hasn't. Hey, look, right? they were two seed in 2012. They were a two seed. But got to play North Carolina in St. Louis, which I'm sure helped it. I'm sure it helped in uh, 2018 when you got to play in Omaha. In Omaha, against but then Duke. also you could say, well, you got to play 26 or 2017 in Kansas City. Exactly. Right? That you saw how well that helped. Yeah. Um. But here's what I find interesting of the importance of getting a one seed because we we've talked about this before. Of does it really matter if they're a one or a two seed? It might be margins, and you know these numbers are till they aren't like. There's, I don't I don't think there's ever been two four seeds who have played each other before in the Super Bowl, and that's happening this year. So t- t- sometimes things haven't happened until they do, right? Um, but 11 of the last 14 national champions, 11 of the last 14, were one seeds. And the only exceptions to that were the two UConn teams, three seed and a seven seed, and then the two seed Villanova in 2016, who probably should have been a one seed. Um, so knowing that, there's your importance of being a one seed. If you want to be a national champion, you're probably going to be a one seed. That's kind of a chicken or egg thing, though. I think the only reason you can make the argument of why it's important to be a one seed once the actual tournament begins is if you're a two seed, that means you if, if things go to seed, you'll have to beat the three and the one in order to get to the final four. Whereas if you're a one, you have to only beat the three or the two, not both of them. Um we kind of looked at in 2018, for example. Uh, now, this didn't work out because Syracuse upset Michigan State, but people looked at it and, and 
KU was picked as the, as the higher favorite to go to the Final Four out of that region, even though Duke was favored over KU when they played in the Elite Eight. And the thought process was Duke would have to go through Michigan State and Kansas. Now, it didn't work out that way because Syracuse beat Michigan State in the second round. So Duke got Syracuse in the Sweet 16. Um, but, uh, but back to the chicken and egg thing, just real quick, I do think there's something to be said of it's it's as being a one seed helps but it's also if you're a one seed you're one of the best teams in the nation so of course you're going to win it yeah and so they need to prove that here moving forward all right we're going to be joined by kevin flaherty of 24 7 sports coming up in about five minutes with adam Dravet. i'm Derek johnson this is rock chalk sports talk would you like to get involved in sponsoring rock chalk sports talk or the best of rcst podcast how about getting involved in some ku action or local high school sports you can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. You know, something you've said before, Kevin, and, and I saw you posted this on, on Twitter last night as well, was the best way to not lose close games is to just not play in them. Um, and now KU has, you know, benefited from some close games too. Um, think of the Iowa State game, the Texas Tech game, and, and Bill Self has kind of made a living there, but you obviously can't win every close game. Is there anything concerning for KU about that game, or is it kind of more of a blip on the radar? Well, I think anytime you get into close games, everything is so magnified, right? Like a guy banks in the three and you're looking at it afterwards and saying, that was the play, you know, that, that was the bounce. Or, you know, you get the lob pass that, that Kansas had to David McCormick for, for an easy dunk, the lob's a little bit off, you know, and you don't get the points. And so you start really looking at this bounce went right, this bounce went wrong. But I think, you know, Kansas is so well coached in those situations generally that when you go back over the course of Bill Self's career, Kansas has really won an outsized percentage of those close games, you know, compared to, to what the average is. And yet at the same time, you look at it, you know, Iowa State got the look that it wanted at the end of that game, right? I mean, and it, and it just it bounces off the rim, and Kansas wins the game. The Texas Tech game, Kansas is, is up and controlling. You know, you kind of collapse a, a little bit, but then Ochai Abaji hits the big shot at the end of overtime, and you wind up winning. The Dayton game went the other way, where Kansas was up a lot like the Texas game. You know, really had to have three or four things go wrong in order for Dayton to win that game, and yet at the same time, you know, Dayton winds up on the very last possession, kind of throwing up a, a little bit of a heave in the lane that bounces off the rim and goes through. And so when you play in close games, you can be well coached, you can be disciplined, you can have players who excel at clutch moments, and at the same time, one bouncer or one thing doesn't go your way and all of a sudden you're headed home with the loss and everybody wants to pick apart sort of everything that went wrong and everything does get sort of that magnified treatment where it's, oh my gosh, we, we can't win with this guy in this situation. And, and I think that, uh, that you saw a lot of that last night. 
Kevin, I'm kind of asking everybody this today to the point that I hope our listeners aren't annoyed with me yet. But, you know, when you look at kind of a lot had to go against KU last night to, to fall to Texas. Last week against Texas Tech at home, a lot of things had to fall right for Kansas to get back in that game and ultimately win it. So if you're going to have two kind of funny sort of games that a lot of things had to fall one way or the other, if you're KU, you you pick the right one to win, right? Sure, sure, because obviously it was over a Big 12 contender. I, I think, you know, Texas is starting to play a lot better now, but even so, you know, they're a game down in the loss column from, from where Baylor and Texas Tech are. And so getting that split with Texas Tech was really important. And then I think, too, you know, we've seen Kansas win the Big 12 so often over the last, you know, 15, 17, 18 years that when you look at sort of the formula, it's protect your home court, right? That's where it starts is, you know, go 8-1 and one or 9-0 and oh at home and then sneak out a road win when you can. And so road wins become a plus, but winning at home is kind of almost what you have to do. And so I think the fact that, that Kansas was able to avoid the season sweep to Texas Tech, Texas Tech doesn't get the tiebreaker, it's over a contender, and Kansas protects its home court as opposed to, you know, the, the road win against Texas or the possible road win, I should say, against Texas. I do think that if you had to choose between those two and you said, you're, hey, you're, you're splitting these two contests, you know, that, that's the way that you would want to see it play out is for Kansas to get the Texas Tech win and, and fall in Austin. What do you think the number is that wins the Big 12 this year, both for a share and outright? I think it's so tough to tell, and I'm not trying to to dodge it or anything. Um, I I think that, you know, as hard as it is to project losses and and say, okay, you know, 14-4 and gets it done or, or whatever, We've seen this year in particular in the Big 12, whether it's COVID-related, whether it's injury-related, I don't think you have a situation where you can really look down the schedule and just say, you know, okay, Texas Tech, best-case scenario will be here. Because you look at the at the Baylor stuff in particular, you know, it, it's funny, Kansas wasn't as bad as it looked down the stretch, you know, giving up that 7-0 run to close the game last night. Kansas also wasn't as great as it looked against Baylor. And a big part of the reason that game got out of hand was Bill Self had a great strategy for a Baylor team that that didn't have shooters on the court because of the injury to LJ Cryer. And it doesn't seem like it would be a huge deal, but when you actually go back and look at the way that Kansas played against Baylor's pick and roll. When you look at, you know, the fact that they, you know, kind of attacked Akinjo when he was dribbling at the same time, you know, stayed on the roll, man, they were basically gambling and saying, you know what, you are not going to hit that skip pass across. And even if you do, the guy who's in that corner isn't LJ Cryer. It's Kendall Brown, who's got eight three-pointers on the year. Or it's Dale Bonner, who's shooting like 22 or 24% from three. And it was a smart gamble. And so the game really, you know, kind of got out of hand and you saw, you know, the outsized scoreline there. But the reason that's, that's all a really long way to say that 
we've seen West Virginia look like it could beat somebody this year, and then Taz Sherman gets hurt. We've seen different teams lose games that they shouldn't because it seems like guys are getting banged up left and right. I think that when you add in COVID and guys potentially missing games for those reasons, it makes it really tough to look at it and say, okay, it's 15 and three or 14 and four is going to get this thing done. You just mentioned that, you know, KU maybe uh, the real KU isn't quite the Baylor game. What do you think is more of the real KU? Is it, or I guess closer to what they are. Is it the Baylor game or the Kentucky game? I think it's somewhere between. I really do. I I actually think that those are, it's really interesting you pick those two games because I think they're almost polar opposites where you look at the Kentucky game and you say, okay, if, if you have Kentucky come to Lawrence on five Saturdays in a row, that result isn't likely to repeat itself. And that's not to say that Kentucky isn't better. But I don't think that it's going to be an 18-point game. I think it really got out of hand because of the way things played out on that specific day. And at the same time, you could say the same exact thing for Kansas and Baylor. I've seen Baylor play quite a bit this year. And if Baylor is playing without L.J. Cryer, I don't think there's any doubt that Kansas is a better team than Baylor. The, The same that I would probably say that Kentucky is a better team than Kansas right now. I don't think it's a 30-point margin, you know, the way it was before Kansas put in its walk-ons. But I do think that Kansas is somewhere in between there. I do think the Jayhawks are are probably the best team in the Big 12. I know a lot of people like Texas Tech. Uh, I, I, Based on what I saw in that game at Allen Fieldhouse, yes, Kansas was lucky to win once it went into the overtimes, but it was also a game that Kansas led, what, by like, 10 or so with six minutes left to go and really, you know, kind of outplayed over the majority of that game, the Red Raiders. And so when you look at where they would be on a, on a neutral court, I do think that Kansas would be favored over Texas tech on a neutral court. I do think that Kansas is probably better than Baylor, even at full health, although I think it would be a lot closer. And so I think that's kind of where Kansas is. I think the worry comes in, when you look at the types of performances that Kansas has had, especially over, say, the last five games or so, you're trying to track it and see whether Kansas is going to be a team that can stack four good games together. And I, I'm not sure Kansas has shown that they're that team just yet. And in fairness, you know, we've seen Kansas teams that weren't that team at this point in February before and, and kind of become that team over February and, and early March. But at the same time, if you're looking for this team to go to the Final Four, I'm not saying that they can't get there. I am saying that where they're at right now, I think it's tough to predict that they would put together four strong efforts in a row to the point that you would feel pretty good about predicting them being in that uh, in that final weekend. Well, that's what I thought last night was interesting because uh... – you know, we talked about earlier in the show that the loss in itself is not a big deal. Texas is a good team. You barely lost on the road because some weird things happened late. But a lot of what were, I guess, negatives for KU in that game are things that have come up a lot this season. Turning the ball over, not forcing turnovers, um, having some games where you do, to your point about inconsistencies, like there are games where they, they're great on the glass and then there are other games like last night, not so much. Uh, what 
right now is the biggest worry for you about why this team wouldn't make it to the Final Four? I think when you look at guard play, it's a big concern. Although one of the biggest issues, I think, what we saw last night, and we've seen teams really get Kansas with this over the course of the season, is David McCormick is physical enough to wall up a guy like a Trey Mitchell and maybe give him some issues. When McCormick goes out, though, Kansas doesn't have another option for that. And, you know, K.J. Adams is is a guy that's shown some really nice defensive potential. He's a little bit shorter. He's not a traditional center. And so if you look at, you know, Kansas maybe getting a Sweet 16 or Elite 8 matchup with somebody that has an actual center, you know, a Kofi Coburn, a, somebody like Purdue or, or, you know, different teams like that, maybe Arizona, you really worry about McCormick's foul situation. I also think, you know, there are some worries there in terms of, McCormick's health, you know, he was limping at different times last night. I think there are some concerns about his consistency. But I think Kansas does need a a little bit more firepower out of the backcourt. And I think Dewan Harris has quietly sort of stepped up his playmaking from where it was earlier in the year. Not a lot of people are talking about this, but he has 21 assists over the last three games. And so when you're talking about a guy who isn't – necessarily, you know, out there lighting up the scoreboard himself, the ability to generate those kinds of points for other players is a really big deal. And when you add in the defense and the things that he was doing, I thought he was terrific on Marcus Carr last night. But I do think that Kansas is helped when it has a player who can either come off the bench or can team with Harris to kind of give them a, a little more pop there. And, and obviously the, the the obvious answer anybody would say would be a, a healthy Remy Martin. I think Remy Martin needs to do certain things to be the best version of himself because I, I think for Kansas to get to the Final Four or maybe win a national title, you know, he's got to defend more. He's got to do the little things that Bill Self has been getting after him to do. It has helped Kansas so much over the last few games that Joseph Yesifu has really stepped up off the bench. And yet at the same time, you know, it's typically alongside Dewan Harris and not, you know, in place of him. And I'm not saying Harris needs to be replaced. I'm just saying I think Kansas maybe needs a little more output from those one and two two guard positions when they do go smaller and that enables them to, to play maybe a little bit more explosively than they have been. I mean, you said that Remy Martin could be the difference maker in that happening if it were to all come together. Do you think Joe Yesifu could do that? Do you think if Joe Yesifu, maybe not to the level that he was playing last year in March where he scored 20 points in seven of his last nine games and put up 26 on USC, but maybe if you're starting to get a little closer to that, like last night he had eight points, I think he was three of four from the field. Could that be enough to get them over the edge? It might be, you know, and it's it's interesting to look at because I think Martin is an elite creator. You know, when he is, you know, the kids would say in his bag. Um, when he when he's in his bag, he's somebody that can score for himself, but also make all the difficult NBA passes. You know, the skip pass, the the pocket pass. He can do a lot of different things and find guys from angles and see guys that other people don't naturally see, and so. 
that's kind of what he brings. But when you look at Yesifu, he brings so much quickness and explosiveness from an offensive standpoint. And the way that he's bought in defensively, Derek, I think is a huge development in that he's gotten Kansas some stops. He's, he's gone out and really applied himself on that end. And then he gives you that speed and acceleration in transition. You know, his scoring is, it is maybe coming along a little bit. You know, he had eight last night in, what, I think 15 minutes, something like that. And so it's definitely possible he can get there. I don't think that Yesifu gives you quite as much as Remy from a, you know, an overall creating points for the team standpoint. But it might just be that, that because Yesifu has really bought in defensively and has done more in those areas – that, you know, he can give you something similar to what you would hope for from Remy Martin sort of in the aggregate. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work, including a piece about national championship teams and how they have first-round picks. So I guess that's good news for KU with Ochag Baji, maybe Christian Brown. Kevin, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. i got a pop quiz for you. What lunch meat am I currently thinking about? What lunch meat are you currently thinking about? Yeah, I, I'm going to say that uh, I'm going to say you're going a little off the wall and, and going away from like a ham and bologna type of thing. So I'll throw out like pastrami. Oh, that was you know what you were you were smart to go that direction. It's capicola though, capicola. Ooh, ooh, yes, capicola is delicious. Yeah, it's so very I, good. I do not blame you for thinking of uh, <laughs> for thinking of that lunch meat. I just you know similar. Uh, Similar family of things, but yeah, very, uh, but very you smart. You, get across the finish line. You were right. You had the right strategy there. I'm proud of you. Right, family. Uh, like, I you know, appreciate. It. It's like picking. Uh, I'm going to pick a team from the Big Twelve to win the national championship. You got the right, maybe not the right team, but right conference. All right, he's Kevin Flaherty, 24/7 Sports. Kevin, thank you so much as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, for Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. That was Kevin Flaherty. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017. 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Two hours down, one to go. More RCST, KU basketball talk coming up next at the top of the five. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. KU falls to Texas last night. Um, You know, there was a lot of discourse after the game. I think when if you went on social media and heard from fans and stuff about which, if I might make a suggestion, don't go on social media after a loss. Well, yes and no. I I sometimes find it useful because you can get kind of a, a pulse yeah. I mean, of, for, I get it for us. I get it. Yeah. You want you want the pulse of what fans are thinking mm-hmm. and saying. I get that. For people who don't have our job. <laughs> It's yeah. good for your health just to avoid yeah, it. Yeah, I'll be honest. If I did not have this job, I would not have social media at all. Social media kind of sucks. <laughs> anyway, um, neither here nor there. You know, there was there was a lot of discourse over Dewan Harris with two things specifically. One, him playing 38 minutes, which a lot of people thought, like, hey, that may be too much. And then also over that, um, I guess, it wasn't the actual final play or final play for KU, but realistically it was. Helped and, seal it. Yeah, exactly, where he ended up driving right. Bill Self said after the game that they were trying to get the ball to David McCormick. I think people thought live that he was trying to set a screen for Ochai to get Ochai the ball. And ended up Dewan. I don't know if he was 
trying to lob one up. It looked like he was trying to take that little hook shot we've seen him make uh, outside the lane to the right, but the ball just kind of slipped out of his hands and, and ended up in a turnover. Um, you heard Kevin Flaherty in the previous segment talking about how he has 21 assists over the last three games. I I don't think Dewan is the guy you, you point your finger at. And, like, I, I get it. You're upset that the last play happened and the execution wasn't great. And that's all fair. Like, the execution wasn't great. That That's a fact. Um, but the ball slipped out of his hands. Like, sometimes just bad things happen. It's unfortunate it happened at that point in time. And if you're going to complain about Harris having the ball in his hands at the end of the game and talk about how, you know, why is the ball not in Ochai's hands? Or why is the ball not in this guy's hands? Okay, then you need to be mad about the Iowa State game winner because you can't just be a result warrior. You can't just say, it worked, I love it, it didn't work, I hate it. You got to pick a process, right? I'll say this, a huge difference between, and I don't mind the Dwan Harris. I mean, look, I, I think as he grows, he might, by his senior year, be a guy we love having taking that last drive. We we want that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the growing process. So I, I don't hate that he had the you know that he made the decision he made he you know the ball was put in his hands the the play was to go to Dave he thought he saw something and and okay um, I will say this a difference between last night and it's not so much of a difference that I think that I changed my opinion on it but at the end of the Iowa State game he had a full head of steam catching a little pass from Ochai and he already had his man beat going to the rim. Um, whereas this one, he had to beat his guy from the dribble. That's that, again, that doesn't change my opinion, but it is a somewhat different situation than what you saw at the end of the Iowa State game. Having said that, I don't think I, I think the the execution is something to get upset about. And equally, if you're going to be upset about Dewan, you need to also go back to Ochai's um, failed lob attempt to Dave. You know, and but I think in the end, what you saw is college basketball players. Yeah, that's what you saw. You and look, I I think the execution was far worse than the decision. Um, and again, I think there are going to come times in Dewan Harris's career where we want him making taking that drive. And so I, I it wasn't a it wasn't a terrible idea. It was terrible execution, but it wasn't a bad idea. Um, and I think it you know. It's just you know if if the guy you know if, if the guy guarding um was it Mitchell who was, was guarding I don't Dave mm-hmm. whoever was guarding Dave I mean if they if they poke the ball away if they're able to get their hands in there or if Dave you know misses the shot I mean there's all sorts of ways that things um could have gone wrong I think what you saw was Texas did an amazing job of taking Kansas's best offensive weapon away um. And Dewan Harris made a mistake. Yeah, and that and, happens. And this is what I'm. I mean, if if you're talking about who who do you trust it in his hands at the end of the game, like obviously you'd like it to be in Ochai's hands. But also, like I said, you have the Dewan game winner against Iowa State. You have the uh, Christian Brown game winner against Oklahoma. We can keep going down the list of other guys who have made the big play late. It's not always as simple to say your best player gets the last shot. Sometimes they're just taken away, or sometimes because of the way they're playing your best player, it opens things up for you other had, guys. You had one of the best defenses in the nation successfully taking your best guy away. Yeah, I think Dewan Harris, he certainly made a better choice than just 
standing around hoping Ochai could fight his way open. Yeah. I think he made a way better choice yes. than that would have been. And, and I'm not saying that would be my first option or anything. I'm just saying, like... But I, Texas took away your best yeah, option. Yeah, there was no point when he was driving the ball until the ball came out where I was saying, oh, no, oh, no. I was going, okay, well, if that's how they're going to defend it, then I trust DeWan because he has been a very trustworthy... Bill Self trusts DeWan. Yeah. Who, who's, who's better opinion than that? And... and, and I mean, Self even said he he said he he saw a crease. It was, um, he made he made a move and he, you know, he this ball slipped out of his yeah. hand. It happens. It, exactly. I mean, look how many times. I don't know. I I just there were times. You know, there are times. Matt Tate even said earlier Iowa State or maybe it was Flared. I think it was Tate. Um, said earlier in that Iowa State game, Iowa State got a decent got a fine look at the end of that game and it just didn't go in. Um, so sometimes you're going to have a poor defensive breakdown and get lucky because the other team's shot doesn't fall. And sometimes you're going to make a play offensively that isn't the most ideal scenario. But keeping in mind that idea or that Texas had the most ideal scenario taken away, um, and it's just not going to fall. Sometimes things happen. Yeah, and so to the point on. Dewan Harris. And to the 38 minutes, real quick, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's, that's where I wanted to, to go. To the 38 minutes, my immediate question is, who else? Because yeah. Remy's, exactly. Remy's hurt, and I don't want – and look, Jalen Coleman-Lands is fine for 10 minutes as a sharpshooter. That's what he's he is. He's not a point guard. But he's not a point guard. He's not running your offense. Right. And so if you want to say, okay, well, uh, how about Bobby Pettiford? Well, Bobby Pettiford, as, as high as I still on on his potential, um, here is – so Bobby Pettiford, since coming back from an injury – he has six appearances. Across those six appearances, he's played 32 minutes. So that's about one game's worth for like a starter. In those 32 minutes, he has scored four points with zero assists, seven turnovers, two rebounds. So you're not going to play him. And then Joe Yesifu, as much as I love Joe Yesifu and, and as great as he has been over these past couple weeks, he's not a true point guard. He averaged 1.8 assists per game last year in 24 minutes per game. Now, that's partially based on role, and this year... He's, you know, has a higher assist rate because he is at certain times being asked to come in there as the lone point guard. But that's more of an emergency thing just to get to want some some health. We've seen the best situation when Joe Yesvu's in the game. We've seen the best situation for those guards when they're playing together. I, like that's the best version of Joe Yesvu. So he's not really a true point guard. What was the score at that point? It was 78-70 or 77-76, right? When Dewan Harris made that drive, Texas was yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so because yeah, because it was and then he had to foul. It was seventy six, seventy five. Ochai missed the lob. Texas hit nothing but net from that little shot from the free throw line. That's how they took the lead. And then yeah, so it's seventy seven, seventy six. Texas at that point, I could make a pretty compelling argument that if if for a lot of those Dewan Harris minutes, let's say you back back it down to thirty four, I could make a pretty compelling argument that the score at that moment is more than a Texas lead of one point if Dewan Harris doesn't play some of those minutes. So you, you can't you can't do away with what he did last night because of it didn't work out. Now look, he made a bad play. He I don't know that it was a bad idea, but he made a bad play. The ball slipped out of his hands. You need better control with that. He, he screwed up. That happens. Players are going to screw up. But you also can't take that and then you can't isolate it from the rest of his performance, which had a lot to do with why KU was in the position they were in. Yeah, I think that, you know, among KU's worries, among KU's concerns, like that doesn't low even on that register. List. Yeah. That doesn't even register. Um, and yes, 
I think you could talk about the fact that, yeah, it is a problem that they don't have other guys there. Now, once Remy Martin's back, ideally, like that, that is a slight difference between Remy Martin and Joe Yesufu. Like I was saying, you can get away with a few minutes as Joe as the backup one, but for the most part, Joe Yesufu is a basically off guard for you. And that's where he's going to specialize when he's playing next to Dwan Martin or Dwan Harris. That's going to be his best play, or I guess next to Remy Martin as well. With Remy, he could specialize playing next to Dwan Harris, but you know you can get backup point guard minutes out of him. I think that'll be the biggest plus when you get him back, that you have somebody to give Dewan Harris a break, and though it may not run the offense the same way, there's pluses to Remy, there's minuses to Remy compared to Dewan Harris. You just need another point guard. And, and no you don't matter, have that right now. No matter how you feel about Dewan Harris at that last play, um, I mean, how many times have we said, hey, this is a Big 12 team that is good at forcing turnovers and KU struggles with giving the ball up? Dewan Harris is one of the few players who isn't, he, he has turned the ball over, but he, he's not the main culprit of turning the ball over uh, on this team. Yeah. And so that, you know, as one of the biggest offensive weaknesses of this team is turning the ball over. And Dewan Harris is not a member of the club that turns it over as often as others. No. And and like I said, um, that's that's far on the list of things I'm worried about. I mean, you're coming off back to back games. Like the Iowa State game, he was fantastic against Baylor. He was really good as well. He played really well in the Texas game outside of maybe down the stretch. So um honestly, like if, if I were ranking things that I'm more concerned about, like Christian Brown having having troubles in terms of scoring efficiency in Big 12 play is is more prevalent to me because that's a guy who's supposed to be your second best player. Like you need to get more out of him. And so far in Big 12 play, Christian Brown through 10 games is shooting um 43%, which is really aided by the Baylor game, which that's not a terrible percentage, but it's a far cry from what he was averaging in non-con. He's shooting just 30.8% from three-point range on four attempts per game, um, you just need to see those numbers go up. And and I don't know, I, I do think there is a, a bit of a correlation there with him getting out in transition, which you need Remy Martin back for. But I don't really find any blame in Dewan Harris in this game. And No, I mean, look, he he, he made a bad play at a very mm-hmm. crucial moment, but, but so did Ochai. So did Ochai Baji. You know, you could say... Oh, so did Dave. Maybe he dropped a rebound here, the missed free throw. Yeah, I mean, Christian Brown missed two. Yeah. Dave missed the front end of a one-and-one. It happens. Jalen dribbled instead of just launching the three that could have tied the game, right? Like, everybody's at fault. This is a team sport, but I still think KU is going to be fine. You lost against a good team on the road. They're a top-15 team on Ken Palm. You still shot 58% against a top-10 defense, so let's not forget about that little fact that you continue to prove that you are one of the best offenses in the entire country. As we've talked about many times, I'd rather have one of the most elite offenses and a defense that we have some questions about, but is still overall pretty solid than the other way around. And KU again showed that against Texas. And certainly when they play again in Allen Fieldhouse, like KU is going to be favored. It's just now they have little less margin for error because you did lose that game. You basically had probably one game where you could lose without it really affecting you in the Big 12 race. KU lost that advantage by losing to Texas. Forgi- and it was a, f- a forgivable loss. Exactly. And if, who knows, like Baylor loses on Wednesday or something, Texas Tech loses on Wednesday, all of a sudden we're going to be sitting there going, you know what, maybe this thing wasn't the worst thing in the world. All right, this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it.